You are listening to the You Are Techie podcast, episode number 128. Welcome to the You Are Techie podcast, where it's all about growing in your techiness so you can find the tech job of your dreams. And now your host, technology learning coach, Ellen Toomey. Hey, moms, are you trying to break into tech? Are you wondering what skills you really need to get hired and how those skills can be worth $45 an hour instead of the $25 an hour you thought when you first started thinking about going back to work? If so, then the Your Techie membership is for you. Our combination of courses, coaching, and community come with the mentor support you need to keep moving forward in your tech career. It's like no other membership program available. We have the exact skills employers are looking for. You'll learn how to maximize your income with portfolio-ready skills that hiring managers are seeking, not to mention the steps you can skip so you don't find yourself down that endless tech learning rabbit hole. Join me as I walk you step-by-step through the getting hired process in tech. Sign up at youartechie.com. That's Y-O-U-A-R-E-T-E-C-H-Y.com. I can't wait to see you in our membership. Reem Jaglet is the founder and CEO of RJ, providing personalized tech-inspired jewelry. She's had a storied career in technology, beginning working as a web designer through her most recent posts before RJ as the head of DE&I and VP of Engineering at Active Camping. Reem has worked as an engineer, senior tech leader, VP of Engineering Innovation, research assistant, teacher, and as the founder of Sweet Yara prior to founding RJ. She has both an undergraduate degree as well as a master's degree in computer science from the University of Illinois, Chicago. She lives in Chicago and has successfully raised her son who resides in Texas. Reem, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ellen. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I can't wait for my audience to hear what you do. It'll be a lot of fun. But if we could, can we start back just a little bit? at Active Campaign because you were the head of DEI. Before that, you were the head of the VP of Engineering. And I would just love to hear about your work there and what inspired you. You know, how are those roles similar or different? I think it's it's very passionate. I'm passionate about both of those. So I'd love to hear about those roles and what you what type of work you did there. Yeah, that's a great question. And it was definitely an interesting shift in my career moving from a VP of engineering role to a, a head of DEI. But DEI is something I'm very passionate about. People in general and helping people is something I'm extremely passionate about. And while the roles look completely different, there are some similarities because as uh, the VP of engineering at Active Campaign, I definitely focused a lot on building a diverse team, diverse organization. Mm -hmm. Equity was very important to us. And it's not just about equitable salaries, but it's also about creating equitable opportunities for career growth for everyone in the engineering organization. And then, of course, inclusion, making sure everyone feels included in the conversations, feel like their voice is heard. So in that aspect, there's definitely an intersection between the two roles, between the VP of engineering and head of TEI. But they're also so different at the same time. Because <laughs> yes, like I focused on that as the VP of engineering, but my job was technology. My job was as the VP of engineering was building out the platform, modernizing our tech stack, making sure that we have a long-term vision for the technology. Active Campaign is a SaaS company, which means software as a service. So our product was our software. So making sure that we're staying on top of innovation, technology innovation, introducing 
whatever we need to introduce to help us scale. Active Campaign was and still is going through a hyper growth phase. It's one of the tech unicorns that's based in or headquartered in Chicago. So we had to make sure that our platform continues to scale as our customers are scaling. So my big focus was really engineering and that's how they're like the two roles were different. And then when I moved on to become the head of DEI, the scope of the DEI work is completely different from the scope of the same work at being an engineering leader, because you're looking at the organization as a whole. You're doing like so many, so many activities and work and focus that's different than when I was leading the engineering org, focusing on ERGs, employee resource groups, building those out in the company doing like audits to different practices in the company, making sure that we are identifying any unconscious biases in the hiring and the promotion cycle and the salaries and pay. And then I also say that DEI isn't just about the organization, even though that's a big part of the work is focused on people and employees in the organization, but there's also customers, DEI, so highlighting like diverse customer stories and supporting our customers from diverse backgrounds. There's also the vendor aspect of it. How do we support diverse vendors? How do you support different companies out there that, that are aligned with our mission, with our DEI work? And also our outreach programs, so partnerships with different organizations and, and different non-for-profits. So the scope of work as the head of DEI, drastically, exponentially larger than the DEI work that I did as an engineering leader. Wow, that's super interesting. I realize that I'm pretty familiar with Active Campaign and I've followed the story a bit, but many of my listeners probably don't even know really what the product does. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Active Campaign is the customer experience automation platform. So they automate the relationship between companies and their customers to build the best customer experience uh, possible. So they have a marketing offering, a CRM offering, landing pages. It's basically building personalized experiences for your customers and automating it. But delivering on that uh, unique personalized customer experience between companies and their customers. So it's a B2B company. Our customers or active campaigns customers are also businesses. They work with small to mid-sized businesses, offering them tools to automate that interactions and that customer experience relationship between the company and their customers. That's great. I can certainly appreciate all of those different aspects. Um of the need for for that type of tool is so helpful in this space. All right, so let's back up even further now. And I'd love to hear about your career journey. And if you want to take us all the way up into your founding of your newest organization, because I mean, that is really why we're here to talk about it. And I gave a little teaser at the beginning, but really, you know, you might be one of those unicorns too, because you started out in computer science. And, uh, you know, that's so uh, that in my experience is pretty rare. I, I have a computer science degree, but out in the workforce, I found very few people who were in tech with that degree. So, you know, take us a little bit through your career journey. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I moved to the States back in 1995 and I went to school at the University of Illinois at Chicago and I got my bachelor's in computer science and then I got my master's in computer science. And I really wanted, my dream was to stick to the academic world and become a professor. So I started pursuing a PhD in human-computer interaction and I loved it. But one year into the program, 
I really needed to drop out of school and find a full-time job, mostly for financial stability. I was a single mom and I needed that financial stability. So I dropped out of school and became a software engineer. And that was my kind of pivot from the academic world into the corporate space. I did switch schools. I joined an online PhD program, hoping I can still finish my my degree. (laughs) But but being a mom to a toddler, a single mom to a toddler, full-time job, I just couldn't do school as well. So I was a software engineer for five years at a real estate company, real estate software company. And then I moved on to the education space. So I was also a software engineer at an education company. And that's where I had the opportunity to help them modernize their technology stack and kind of transform their engineering practices and get more into the engineering excellence space. And that's where I found my passion, which is transformation work, joining organizations to kind of transform their technology and their engineering practices. And it was my entry point into the leadership space. I became an engineering manager, then a director of engineering. And then from there, I switched a few places until I finally got into marketing and I became the VP of engineering at the Active Campaign. So I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I really wanted to build my own business for years. So less than a year ago, I decided to run a business that I started, RJ, on as a full-time entrepreneur. So back in July of last year, I finally left the corporate world. I don't know if it's forever or <laughs> rarely, but I've been focused on RJ since then for the past few months. Well, congratulations, because that is no small feat, I know, and it can be really challenging as an entrepreneur. So I think that your offering is definitely unique. I have not seen anything like it out there. So can you tell everyone, what does RJ do and what do you offer? As I'm pretty sure I have the audience that's going to really be into it. So RJ sits at the intersection of technology and jewelry that's inspired by technology concepts. I wanted to design a jewelry line that represents something that's near and dear to my heart, which is technology. And I wanted to kind of create curiosity about different engineering concepts through something fun like jewelry. So like, it's exactly what you said. No one has done it before. And I'm still nervous, but excited about doing about doing what I'm doing at RJ. The first jewelry line that I started, that I designed and launched in November of last year is binary jewelry. So you can customize your jewelry piece, your bracelet by giving us a letter or a number and we'll encode it in binary code and use, I call them binary charms. They're just charms that represent the number zeros and one. I mean, I love doing what I'm doing. RJ it's not just a jewelry store, but it's also about promoting technology and engineering. Because like simple example, all my models are engineers who I've worked with or engineers who are willing to love that. And once they model the jewelry, I interview them and I share their journey into engineering, how they became engineers. And we highlight those stories on the blogs. I mean, it's still a work in progress. It's still pretty much so new, like three, four months old company. But I love what it stands for. I love that it's promoting technology and engineering through something that's so fun. Usually, Julie and engineering don't intersect outside of wearable tech, like your smartwatch. So Mm -hmm. this is one way to kind of 
I say to give jewelry an intellectual identity and mm. to give technology a fun identity. And that's what I'm trying to do with RJ. I love it so much. And it's so fun. I hope you guys are listening. You can hear how cool and different. I think only a woman can come up with this idea. This is exactly what diversity means, diversity of perspective and ideas like that. I just I love everything about it. Here's what else I love that I've been wanting to tell you since since I came across your company a few months ago. So I guess I I was like right on it. I think that with my students and my audience, one of the things that cannot be overstated or done too much is to create this identity of feeling techie, of feeling that they are someone who is part of the tech field, the tech scene. They belong there. And I think that one of the things that, you know, having beautiful, which it is beautiful jewelry and fashion, you're just promoting that identity. And I think that at its core, if we shift the identity of more women to say, I do identify as techie, I think that really is going to be a key piece to really moving the needle and closing the gender gap. So I just want to commend you for that. And I think it's a beautiful thing that you're doing. It's super inspiring and really interesting. Yeah, I love what you said because representation, I say, comes in all shapes and form. I mean, we want role models that we look up to and we want to see them in, to see, to see them successful and see them in leadership roles and look up to them and want to be them. But representation could also be jewelry. Like, I want to wear this piece of jewelry and make the statement that I am techie, I am passionate about technology. I love technology. I wear this, like the pride that comes from sharing your passion for technology. So yeah, representation can be of all shapes and forms. And I thought, why not jewelry too? Yeah, I think that is so interesting. So a little bit more about your role as a woman and a mom in technology. How do you view that role? Obviously, it's something that, you know, you've representative for your career, but then taking these bold steps as both the head of DEI and then with RJ, like how do you view your role as a woman in technology? I'll say I love being a woman in tech. I really truly love being a woman in tech. I love technology. I love engineering. And what I love is also mentoring women in tech and watching them grow. I for the last few years, I've mentored or I've focused most of my mentorship on emerging leaders in tech. So women who want to become engineering managers or directors. And I watched so emerge as wonderful, amazing, inspiring leaders in technology. So I think that's a big part of, of what I do is advocating for people who are already in tech and want to emerge as leaders and for women and girls who are not in tech and they are not sure what a career in tech is. Last year, I did a series of interviews with teenage girls aged 12 to 15, and I asked them similar questions. And one of the questions was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And of course, the most common answers are teachers, a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor. None of them said an engineer or a computer engineer. And I want to change that. Like, I want to start hearing girls say, like, I want to become an engineer. I want them to know what a career in engineering is. Yeah. I feel like that's our responsibility because the media, unfortunately, consciously or unconsciously, have portrayed the wrong image of what an engineer looks like or <laughs> where it does. And I would yeah. love to change that. And I feel like all of us women in tech have the role 
to show up to the young generation or not even young, to all women mm. and say like, this is what it looks like to be someone in technology. This is how fulfilling it is to be a technologist. And this is the real image of, of an engineer and what we do. That is so beautiful. So I always say, you know, you were describing that image and I'm like, oh, you must mean when I talk about oh, the, the guy with the hoodie and the greasy hair in the basement, you know, hunched over a computer that he hasn't showered in days. That's the image, right? And I mean, I'm sure guys don't like that image either. But this was one of the reasons that all over my website, I put my picture all over. I really had to come to this own growth of myself because I'm that person who hates pictures. I'm like, just don't. I'm, but what I realized is, no, who I am and what I represent, I'm just a mom of five kids living in the suburbs. And, you know, this is who I am. And I'm techie. That's what I am. And so I totally resonate with what you're saying that just more of us putting ourselves out there and saying like, this is what we look like. I think it breaks down so many barriers because then people are like, oh, actually, that's what it looks like. Oh, I can see myself as that. I think that's beautiful. Okay. I really want you to tell our audience, because I can still hear some of my students who are nervous to wear your jewelry. Tell them why they should wear your jewelry. I, I usually say like the biggest reason why is to make a statement. Again, jewelry is often perceived as something that's superficial or shallow. Mm. And I want to change that. I want people who wear the jewelry to feel the pride, to feel the pride to share their passion for something as amazing as technology and engineering. It's like making a statement that I am techie. I am an intellect. And I do care about fashion, but I am all of these and I can be all of that. So, I mean, I it's like, again, that statement of pride, that statement of, I don't know how to describe it better than like intellect, that there's more to me. I love technology and engineering and I love what technology has to offer to the world that I'm excited about tech and I am a techie myself so this bracelet kind of make that statement that there's more to me and to my jewelry it's not just a fashion accessory it's a statement that I'm making about who I am and what I'm passionate about yeah I love it oh that was so good that was really good okay so you've started this entrepreneurial journey and I wanted to ask a couple of questions with it so obviously I'm an entrepreneur so like my heart grows in excitement and I understand some of the challenges. You're a solopreneur you're, or you have a co-founder? Yeah. No, you have a <laughs> solopreneur. Yeah. So that's its own world of challenges. I would like to know, did you always know you wanted to be in tech? Because I mean, you started pretty early. And then why do you think you made the leap at this time into entrepreneur? I wish I have an exciting story of why I wanted to get into tech, but really I didn't. I, I mean, growing up, I wanted to become a journalist. I wanted to become an interior designer. I love art. I've always enjoyed drawing, painting, oil painting. So computer science was never an option. But then when I moved to the States back in 1995, one of our friends was in tech and he just introduced me to the idea of exploring an option going for a computer science or a computer engineering degree. There was the hype back then, like with personal computers. And I would say I wasn't intimidated by tech and maybe because I moved and I didn't inherit any of the misconceptions or the stereotypes. So to me, I wasn't intimidated by being in technology. 
And that's how I got into tech. And when I started taking computer classes, I just loved it. I mean, I think one thing we don't talk enough about is the creative aspect of programming and engineering. I love art. I mean, as someone who enjoys painting, you can paint anything you want. You hold your brush and you can build whatever, or you can transform the image in your head into something on the canvas. But we don't talk about the similar aspect of programming or engineering because you're really building something in a virtual world however way you want you can be creative my first project was building a virtual grocery store and we're talking about 1996 or 97 internet was like was up and coming wasn't a thing back then so i mean i built a grocery store and i designed it and put the shelves whatever I wanted the shelves then I colored the walls whatever paint I wanted to so we don't talk enough about that creative aspect of engineering actually most many I don't want to say most but many of the people I worked with come from creative backgrounds and decided to become engineers they come from music background art philosophy they didn't necessarily start their journey going for computer science or computer engineering which is, again, the beauty of programming, because you really, not just that you can build whatever you want, it's that you can build it however way you want. There are oh, so different ways. So the creative part of my brain goes like live when I'm programming or engineering. It's not been intentional about getting into engineering, but it definitely was intentional about staying in engineering. And I really loved it once I started taking programming classes. That's great. I like your point about the creative aspect of programming. I totally agree with you. When I was in college, this would have been like the late 90s. I wrote, we had to do a project and I picked doing a random music selector. So actually I had the idea for Spotify. I just didn't realize that it was such a worthwhile idea. That's my, I'm like, oh, I can look at the different aspects that would make something interesting of music to listen to and, you know, the different tone and the balance. And if you like these, you'll like this. And remember writing that in Java and just like, I still remember that project, even though it was 20 years ago, but 25, whatever, you know, a while ago. And, and it, <laughs> you're right though. It took so much creative aspect because I could make it however I wanted. Just like you said, like I came up with the idea and it's like, okay, there's a blank canvas, much like you're talking about drawing. Where do you want to go with it? So I love your point about creativity. So what about starting your company? Now, we didn't really talk about this. You actually have had a company on the side all along. Yeah, that was more of a hobby business. It was never a profitable. <laughs> yeah, but it was like, about, is it a gift store? It was jewelry too, but it wasn't jewelry that I designed. I was just a buyer and seller with RJ. The design is mine also, so it's a little bit different. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I think I got interested in the marketing space after starting my business. And when I joined the first marketing company as the VP of Innovation Engineering, it was very intentional because I was fascinated by marketing and especially like ethical marketing for people at the right time, the right product. And and I just like, I was fascinated by that aspect of running a business. And that's why I got into the marketing as an engineering leader. But yeah, from there, I mean, when you have that entrepreneurial itch, like you have to just scratch it and it will never go away. I try stay in the corporate space as long as I can. I share this sometimes, but I actually quit two jobs 
to leave the corporate world and, and become a full-time entrepreneur. And every time I quit, this great opportunity in the corporate world. Oh my gosh. And I end up going back. But this time it stuck, I guess. Yeah, it was a big, I mean, you said it, it's a leap of faith to leave the stability of having a corporate job, health insurance, paid insurance, <laughs> a regular paycheck. And also I think I struggled the most with leaving the corporate world because I was that person. I was that role model for so many people. I got into, as a woman in tech, I was often the only woman. I mean, you know, the only yeah. one at the table. And I wasn't just a woman at the table. I was often at the head of the table. So I struggled with the idea of leaving corporate and us losing another woman in tech. But the work that I'm doing with RJ kinds of, in a way, it still keeps me feeling like fulfilled in contributing to right. getting and supporting women in tech. And I'm hoping that one day I'll go back to the corporate world, just not yet. But yeah, I mean, being an entrepreneur, as you know, it's not an easy thing. You're wearing so many hats and you're learning so many things and you're kind of starting. I feel like I've invested 25 years to get at the engineering level. And now I'm starting from the very beginning. <laughs> it's very humbling, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, let's see what this means. And let's take this course. And like, I was tempted. I saw your UX design offering. And I'm like, yes. I take that? Yes, you should. You should take it. It's wonderful. No, but I do think that knowing which courses to take and what education you need is really hard because there is a lot of great information out there. And it is very much about just-in-time learning. It's like from the Home Depot. You're talking about all the marketing stuff. Oh yeah, I had to learn all of that. I'm like, oh, I need to sell what I have. Oh yeah, let me figure that out. But I agree with you. I went with like an education marketing philosophy and I thought, well, I'll have a podcast because I know I can talk really easily. And it's funny. I mean, like my family will make fun of me, but it's true that doing something that there's some amount of ease with doing it, like you were talking about, you were interviewing like tweens and teens and then interviewing your engineers and your models. There's some element of joy when you were talking about that. And that's a, an important piece. That's a piece to your marketing. It shows who you are and what your company is, right? And so for me, for my company, I talked to you know women doing things in technology and honestly, men who are really excited about bringing more women to technology and then success stories too. Those are my favorite. I have to like convince them to come. They're never ready. They're never, they're so nervous. I'm like, but you're, think of all the people you'll help. Okay, I'll do it, you know? So it is important to kind of find that piece. So what would you say has been, and I would agree with you, humility is my number one learning. Outside of humility, what's like your number one learning from entrepreneurship? And then what's your number one challenge? I was kind of preparing to answer this question as the VP of engineering, but I can do that. Like, what's my biggest challenge as a VP of engineering and the most fulfilling thing about that? But I can also talk about it from entrepreneurial perspective, whichever you prefer. Whatever works for you. Let's talk as a VP of engineering, what was fulfilling aspects of my job? I would say... When you're successful, when I became successful at transforming a company, at getting them to the next level, that was probably the most fulfilling aspect of my career, like getting in, solving for their bottleneck challenges when it comes to engineering and platform, transforming the organization, bringing in engineering excellence practices, building cultures of accountability, cultures of ownership, and then like just kind of 
showing them the possibilities, not just the limitations. That's one thing I feel is one of the skill set that I have when I come in or join a company. I don't look at why we can't do something. I look at the opportunities of why doing something will transform the way they do things. And then the second thing that's super exciting about being an engineering leader is watching people grow. I watched so many engineers become senior engineers and staff engineers and principal engineers. I watched many get into the people leadership side of things and become managers and senior managers and directors. And one of my senior directors just became a VP and we were exchanging a few messages a couple oh, of weeks ago. Well, that's like one of the most joyous moments is watching people grow and which I love and I miss so much. The challenging thing, I think, is just being a woman in tech. You often, especially as a woman leader or as a senior leader, you have to work more than your male counterparts. Often you're not extended the same respect or credibility or trust that you are the right person for the job. You kind of have to earn it versus mm. it's like. Men, when they join organizations as senior leaders, they're given that from the get-go, but right. we have to earn it with time. So that has always been one of the biggest challenges that I had to overcome. And you just get better at it. And you, mm -hmm. I think you've embraced it. <laughs> I love it. You mind if I ask you, you've mentioned the transformation twice, and you talked a little bit about the modernization and really bringing like new practices in. And by the way, you mentioned what's possible, like definitely an abundance mindset that'll help you in entrepreneurship. I'm curious about, you also mentioned like staff transformation. Can you tell me just like a little bit more about the details when you're transforming an organization? Like what are the different components that are going in? Are you choosing, is it like, oh, we just, we've got to rebuild it from a new stack perspective, even though that's really hard or, hey, we don't have the talent that we need. We need to bring something else in. Like what are some of the components that you use to transform an organization? Well, you're a natural leader too. <laughs> uh, I'm super curious what you're I'm like, what? Well, I wonder what she means by that. What, yeah. And I almost glammed onto it before. Yeah. What, what do you think about that? So it depends on the organization. Okay. And I think that's the beauty of transformation work is it's not a preset offering. Like, well, you offer transformation work, but the way you implement it and the way you prioritize it, it depends big time on the company itself and the stage at which the organization is at. So one of the companies where I joined, like we started with transforming their engineering practices. They had siloed work. So each engineer owned a code base and they would fix it, build new features and that's it. And that's so dangerous for a company because we have points of failure. Yeah. And then also your code becomes just unmaintainable because if you're building the same feature on different pages, let's say you have a search feature, you end up copying and pasting the code because engineers aren't talking to each other. They aren't aware of what they're doing. So that's one of the things that I've done is transforming the code base fully. So going from like separate code bases that's owned by separate engineers, kind of the idea of shared accountability and shared ownership, code review, pair programming. So introducing all these practices. Right. And then from a stack perspective, like this was a company that built their technology stack using a language that no longer had a supported community or even talent in the space. So we struggled a lot. We were hiding so much, but we struggled a lot finding good engineers who 
A, have some experience in that language and B, are experts in that space or they want to learn that language. We even got to the point where we're willing to hire junior engineers with no experience programming in that specific language. language right? So we did that. We tried that for a year and then it just wasn't scalable as the company kept growing and we had to hire more talent. It just wasn't scalable. Most junior engineers that we've hired as entry level would leave us two, three years later because now they have the experience and they can work in Java or mm-hmm. like a more a different, a more appealing programming language. Mm-hmm. So we decided to modernize the stack and shift the programming language to a different one and introduce frameworks and introduce so many things to modernize even within the language itself, which frameworks we were using. But that requires having like a plan. So you can't right. say right. rewrite the whole platform, a 15 years old platform. I'm going to rewrite it in this language. But you come up with a plan to say, well, we have these three new features that we're building this upcoming year? How can we build them on the new stack? How can we develop a plan? Because you need to build the hardware also. It's not just the language, it's also the hardware. It's also hiring infrastructure engineers who are familiar with how to deploy stacks that are built on this new language that we're going to pivot to. So kind of coming up with these plans, doing internal training, potentially hiring one or two senior folks in this new language that we're moving to. So kind of help us set things up. So that's one example for that specific company where engineering excellence, collaboration, frameworks, changing the programming language took some time to transform like how in different companies we did or I led like DevOps transformation work. So it's not just about writing code. It's about like programming or building features about shipping code yeah, and your QA practices, how you test your code. That was actually one of the most exciting projects I worked on. It used to take us 14 days to ship code and deploy it to production. And I spent some time coming up with a plan and I offered them a solution to ship the code in 10 minutes. So taking it from 14 days to what? And that's crazy. I thought 14 days was pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, so 10 minutes was revolutionary. I mean, everyone who worked with me on that project, I'm still in touch with. And they still say that you taught me to think outside the box. I think nothing is impossible because the problem when you're like, let's say in this case, when you're doing 14 days code delivery or, or releases, that no matter how you optimize, you're just brushing off like 10 minutes here, half an hour here. So you'll stay within the 14 days. You might shorten it to 10 days after. Right. But with transformation, what sometimes yeah. it takes is just to look at things completely di- from a different lens and say, well, why do we need to do things this way? Why right. do everything in parallel, everything running at the same time, give it as much hardware as possible and just watch what could happen. So that's why I said showing the possibilities, not the limitations and thinking outside the box. That's what I take with me. Like every organization I join, I spend some time learning about their challenges and pain points and then prioritizing what is the most important thing that will get you the biggest return on your investment at first. And then we start tackling these projects. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's really interesting. And I'm glad I asked the question because it's a much more comprehensive picture that you painted than what I was originally thinking. And I think that's really helpful. All right. I think we should wrap it up. And I want to ask you this final question. 
for advice to a woman who's listening. Maybe she's a mom. She's considering a career in tech. And she is struggling to see herself as techie. She's not sure that like it really fits her mold. What advice do you have for her to pursue a career in tech, even if she's doubting herself? My advice would be if you are struggling to see yourself in tech because you don't have all the information that you need to make that decision, then take a step back. Unfortunately, media, social media, uh, culture, society, like we've been fed so many misconceptions and wrong information. I mean, the media portrays anyone in tech as either a hacker or, right? Like every Mm -hmm. show that we see an engineer in, I mean, we're starting to see more women engineers, but we're often seeing them hacking into the police structure or NASA or that's not, I mean, really engineering is about building solutions. Look at how we're communicating now. We're using Zoom. Right. So many engineers contributed to building this wonderful yeah. software that solves so many problems. So back to my advice is find the right sources that will give you all the information that you need to make your decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you're doing, Ellen, is amazing. Like through you are techie. So like that's one way. Talk to you. Talk to people that you're interviewing. Reach out to people on LinkedIn. There are so many wonderful organizations promoting women in tech, women who code. So many where you can really get the full picture and then decide. I mean, it's completely okay if engineering isn't the right path for someone. We all have different passions, different hobbies, different sets. But the problem is that we're eliminating tech yes. career option because we don't have all the information that we need. And that's mm-hmm. what I found out when I talked to the girls last year. I said, what do you think an engineer does? And they said, computers. I'm like, well, what do you think they do? And every single girl said they are solving math problems all day. And I'm like, no, that's not engineering. <laughs> so like, let's get the right information. I mean, I love all the different offerings that you have on your website because engineering isn't just the one thing, a one track. There's front end, back end, infrastructure, data science, UX, design. And I mean, if you talk to the right people, then it shouldn't be as overwhelming. And just my advice is, Get the right answers. Get all the information that you need. Shadow people. Ask to shadow a woman in tech and just attend a couple of meetings. Reach out to people on LinkedIn and organizations such as Your Techie and other organizations out there. But just make your decision informative based on credible resources, not media and not social media. That was advice. That is great advice. Reem, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I had a great time talking with you. The same here, Ellen. Thank you for hosting me. Thanks. Hey, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to sign up for the UR Techie email list. Imagine being in the tech job of your dreams. Join me to get the strategies, training, and never-ending support to get hired. Sign up at URTechie.com. That's Y-O-U-A-R-E-T-E-C-H-Y.com. I'll see you next time.